Amen. Thank you, team. Hey, you guys can grab a seat this morning. Um, my name is Julia, if I haven't met you before, and um, I have the awesome privilege of being here on team at Life. And come September, um, I'm going to be the campus pastor out at our new Salwyn Church plant, which is exciting. Um, so a, a couple of Sunday nights ago, I shared a little, uh, Carl asked me to share a little bit around what my journey has been um, and, and saying yes to this and, and what's kind of been going on behind that. And, um, and he asked me to share a little bit of that again this morning. So if you were there Sunday night a couple of ago, um, apologies. Um, I'm not going to cover all of it, so if, yeah, if you want to hear more, you can have a listen to the message. Um, but how we, how we kind of started with this, so we started doing this thing called Red Frogs, which is a bizarre name for something, but um, is, is a campus outreach that we do in the university. We started in Canterbury University, and how that started is a story within itself. Um, but we started doing this, we um, we're going into uni parties and um, loving and caring for people, often in their most um, vulnerable uh, states at different times. And, and we were working alongside the police. We were giving food to uni students. We were cooking out pancakes and giving out water and um, caring for them when they were too intoxicated in the safe zones and doing walk homes and making sure that they were getting home safely because we believe that there's a God who loves and cares about them. And there's a God and a Jesus who goes into broken places and there's no judgment in those places, but there's a love and a compassion. And there are so many people who are never going to come through the doors of our church and God has filled us with his presence and his Holy Spirit and his compassion to be guide into their worlds and to surprise them with the incredible love that we can have for them, right? So that's what we were doing in these places. We were doing it at Canterbury. The police were loving it. The council was loving it. And um, they saw the difference that it was making when a team was there, which continuously blows my mind that a team, that, that you know, police, that city councils, that event, corporate events teams would go, man, there's a difference when a team of volunteers from a local church are at an event and when they're not, right? And um, so they said, hey, we're having some, there's some stuff going down out in Lincoln. There's some challenges out there. And we wondered if you guys would put a look consider putting a Red Frogs team out here in Lincoln. And in all honesty, my response was, we have got more than enough on our plates at Canterbury. <laughs> but what an incredible opportunity, what an amazing open door to, into, into that space. And um, just a side note, we're not a, a student church, we're not a university church, we're a family church um, that, is, that God has given us a building to use within a university, right? But there's also 3,000 students out there. So as we're reaching families within the Selwyn district, we also want to be reaching these students as well. Um, so what an amazing open door. Um, so we said, yep, cool, we'll, we'll sort something out. We went to a local church out there, a really amazing church, and we said, hey, look, this opportunity has come up. Um, would you guys be interested in doing it? Because they were, they were the local church, and it was local, and... Um, I said, look, we'll, we'll do all the training, we'll give you, you know, everything that, that we've learned, we'll pass on to you and we'll help however best we can, like if you guys want to build these connections and these relationships. And they said, you know, thank you for coming and having this conversation with us, but currently we've, we're already doing quite a bit in the university, our resources are pretty stretched, um, we love what you guys are doing though, please come and do it and, you know, with our blessing. And I was like... Damn it. <laughs> I was really hoping they were going to take it. Because 
you know, we were, we were, we were we just tried to be faithful and be obedient to God and, and then, so we started going into the universities, we did our first garden party, uh, Mana will vouch for it, it was one of the craziest parties that we've been into, they'd started drinking, some of them at four in the morning, um, there was a guy dancing on the roof for a couple of minutes earlier, he had been dancing in front of us and we weren't even sure how he was standing in front of us, let alone on a roof, and Mana who was up here before and I standing there trying to talk this guy down. Um, there was chainsaws and fences. There was it was it was pretty pretty gnarly, um, and then um, we went to to the garden party and um, there was we were running a safe zone there. So a safe zone is they come up to to the main doors through security, and if you're in a fit state, you get to go into the event, and if you've had too much to drink, then you kind of get sent down the chute to the safe zone, um, down to the frogs and to the, the St. John's or um, medical teams, and where we, we care for people and we rehydrate them and um, make sure they get home safely and are locked after and aren't in a bush or under a tree somewhere where they're very vulnerable. And um, we, had, we were running the safe zone, it was pretty busy, and there was a girl that the police actually brought into us. And uh, originally, when they originally bought her, they thought that they suspected there may have been some kind of sexual assault. She was absolutely hysterical. She was in a swimsuit with... So these are dress-up parties, so... Um, a swimsuit with kind of shorts and half a sock on and covered in mud and was just screaming and was so, so upset. And the police were like, hey, actually, we, we, we can't kind of take her at the moment. Could you guys care for her? And I so believe that it was, no one else could even get close to her, they couldn't touch her, she was just, you know, losing the plot. And um, I so believe that it was the power of the Holy Spirit within us and within the team that she came to the frogs and something just softened. And as um, myself and one of the other girls, we went up and we started talking to her, and, um, and just, just kindness. And she, honestly, she just came and she just wrapped herself around me and, and just wouldn't let go and just started sobbing and crying and literally just kind of curled up. And the police officer looked at me and he goes, cool, you got this? I was like, yeah, apparently, thanks, man. Come back and check on us. And so we were working with the medical teams and we were assessing her and it turns out she had taken pingers, which is a kind of pill, a kind of drug. And um, I, I've seen a lot of, we see a lot of people come in on drugs, a lot of different stuff, but I'd, I'd never seen it quite like this before. And she completely, it was almost like she completely lost her mind. She had no ability to keep herself safe anymore. Um, she was super sensitive to everything that was going on around her, and, and she just wrapped herself around me, and she was so scared that she was, was going to hurt someone. And she was weeping, and she was crying, and I'm sitting there, and I'm holding her, and pretty much all I could do in that point was just pray. And, and asked for the comfort of the Holy Spirit to come in that moment and for wisdom. And I was meant to be running the safe zone, and I looked at the team and went, you guys got this, and they also they stepped up and they ran it. Because every time I tried to step away from this girl, no joke, she would go, Jala! and scream the place down until I came back. Um, as with one of the medics we were working with, it's my first time working with him, and he goes, well, I'm not going to forget your name anytime soon, am I? <laughs> and so that was me for the next hour and a half sitting with this girl, holding her until we were able to find some friends and until we were able to, um, you know, get her back to a place where she was co- a bit more cognitively aware. Um, but it was amazing because when we got hold of her friends, they said they were so blown away because she's, she's, she is so anti-drugs. She is not the girl that does drugs. She is an amazing athlete. Um, she is a, was a top academic student. And... It just so, something in my heart just broke afresh 
that there are people who are searching, searching, and they're looking for it often in the wrong places. She was experimenting, she was trying something, not knowing what the effects were going to be, searching for something that she was supposed to find in Jesus, right? And so there's no judgment when we're there in that place, but it's a reminder that we're called to these places. We're called to broken people, to bring hope and to share the message of good news that God has placed within us, the message of salvation that God is for us, that there is nothing that can separate us from him, that his love can restore and redeem and heal every broken part in our lives. Isn't that incredible good news, church? So we started doing this um, out in Lincoln, and from there, uh, we were blown away with how the doors continued to open. Um, the halls team, the, whole, the accommodation halls would have had us here every week if they were able to, but we didn't have the resource at the time. So we were able to commit a team every fortnight. Now we have a team of six of us who are going in every two weeks, just building relationships on, on the nights when they're partying before they head off down to the pub. And you would be amazed at the conversations that God opens through offering a simple pancake to people or a glass of water and just being there and being present and the amount of times that we find ourselves in the right place at the right time. We've seen um, God continuously grow this and grow the relationship, and this was long before uh, God had started speaking to Carl about planning a campus out there. Um, little did we know that it was a great big setup, right? <laughs> And that God was going before us and was opening the doors, opening relationships into the university, into the local community, into policing teams, into city councils, and was putting us on their radar. And so when God um, spoke to Carl and said that the, well, he was out work, walking in Lincoln and said that the, the kids going to be out here, the Salworth campus is going to be here, suddenly he saw the succession of events that God had been setting up for us to be able to step into, to love and to serve people. A little of my journey of what had been going on at that time was Carl shared with me that we were looking to start a campus in there and so we wanted to continue to grow the team for frogs, which was fine. And we would keep doing that. And then just before I went to Thailand last year, um, there was a position that came up actually out on campus. And knowing we were going to plant out there, um, we, it looked like quite a strategic position. And it had come up and Carl's like, would you consider potentially going like neither of us really wanted it but it was so strategic that we're like yeah potentially is an option and so I had to get on a plane the next day going oh my gosh what is going on like am I I leaving am I going but it was funny in that conversation that we had the day before I left it wasn't even really on Carl's radar yet but when he mentioned it and mentioned we're planning a church out there I knew in my heart that I was meant to be a part of leading it and there was just this deep sense of knowing. And you know those moments when you're like, you can't rationalize it. As I say, it was only coming onto Carl's radar. He didn't even know if he wanted me to lead it at that point. But there was something within the call of God to the people and to the place. And then that was, that was a year ago from now. And I can tell you that over the last year, I have never wanted to walk away. I have never doubted my own abilities. I've never been so aware of my, um, my weaknesses, my doubting my ability to hear from God, but isn't that so the way when we're stepping into new territory and going into new places? But God is faithful. There was a, there was a moment in October last year when um, Carl thought that I was actually angry with him. He's like, what is, what is up? Like, what is going on? You are not yourself. 
And he came into my office and he's like, you know what's going on? I'm like, it's not you. Like, I'm definitely not grumpy with you. But I just, I cried and I, I bawled, like, bawled my eyes out because there was something in that response to the yes that meant there were other dreams that had to be laid aside and surrendered in order to do this. See, when we had to do those cards earlier this, this year, well, we didn't, no, we didn't have to do them when we were invited to. <laughs> I was away um, up in Auckland in the morning and I came back in the evening and um, I didn't know that the, the team was doing this. And so everyone had kind of done this in the morning and we're like, yeah, it's fine. And I stood there and even standing with my card, I had tears running down my face because I knew the cost of what that yes was going to be this year. See, church, if we're going to go the places where God is taking us, if we're going to see lost people come home, if we're going to see broken lives lives healed and transformed, it is not going to be easy. There is stuff that we are going to need to lay down. And what I shared the other Sunday was actually going, we have to make the calculated cost determined by conviction. Our conviction has to override the cost of going into these places and of reaching people, of being available to God, of being vulnerable to God to allow him to heal our lives so that we have the capacity to carry his presence into these places. And as I was standing there knowing what my yes was going to cost me, and I came up and I put it down on, on the altar and just was crying. And as I stepped back, I didn't even make it to my seat. I was shaking. I don't normally, I generally cry like that's just a kind of given. Um, but, but to sh- and going, God, I trust you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know, I don't know what, how, the, how this, the cost of this is going to work out. I don't know how the dreams that I've had to surrender are going to work out, whether they're permanently on the altar or whether it's something you're going to bring back. But going, God, I'm scared. God, I'm scared and I don't know how it's going to work, but I want to give you my yes. And Ange came up and she said, I don't even know if you want prayer. And to be honest, I hadn't even made it back to my seat. I didn't even know if I want a prayer. I was just in that space of going, God, I just want to be obedient. And she said, she got this picture as soon as I went up that she said it was the enemy was circling with fear and doubt, just trying to look for a chink in the armor. But I was stoked because I was at least I was standing there ready to fight, Right? But as we come back and go, and we've got to wrestle with that stuff within our yes if we're going to go where God is calling us to go. So a couple of years, well, not a couple of years, a fair while ago now, I was at um, Bible college, and um, someone, one, of the, one of my class members was praying for me, and just, just in a time we were just sitting outside on, on the field, and, and she said, I just get this picture and um, she said, it's like you're, you're trying to drag God along. She said, you just sometimes need to learn to rest and to walk beside him. And it's a continuous picture that I've come back to. And even as we step into the Salwin thing at the first prayer meeting that we had, God spoke to me, Exodus 13. And I wasn't quite sure what it was again, so I went back and I read it. And it was the story of when the, um, the people are going out from Egypt, when Moses is leading them. And he's, by day, he leads them by a pillar, of, a, a pillar of cloud and by night, a pillar of fire. And I felt God so speak into my heart. He's like, all I need you to do is follow. I don't know where God's going to go. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how it's going to end up. But it's like, I can be obedient to choose to follow him. And in this whole journey, I've been learning kind of what it means to, to keep in step with God again. 
My prayer life has had to shift and change as there is so much more that I'm seeking and believing God for. It's something we talk about in Frogs a lot when we're out in the university. We say, Lord, we want you to keep us in step with you and where you're going. And I want to invite Paul Cargo up um, for a moment to help me with a little bit of an illustration. Because, see, I think sometimes our prayer lives, we can kind of feel like this is God and this is us, and we're going, come on, come on. Or we think that our prayer lives, maybe if I pray hard enough, then I might be able to twist God's arm up around his back, right? (laughs) Or sometimes we think if we start praying, maybe maybe God's going to be like, come on, come on. You're like, I don't want to go there, right? But what I've kind of been learning and what I've been finding so much rest and so much peace in amongst all the unknown and all the fear and all the doubt and all the other stuff that's going on is that it's kind of more a sense like this with God. Right? <laughs> Good job, Paul. <laughs> We've been practicing that all week. We thought it was going to be... <laughs> yeah, take a bow, take a bow. We thought it was going to be hilarious if we tripped up. <laughs> that was going to be great. But going, what if, what if instead we live our lives like that? What if our prayer relationships with God are not a sense of trying to drag him, of trying to twist his arm, or him trying to drag us somewhere, but a sense that we're in step with where God is moving and where he is going. So there's a couple of scriptures um, that come to mind when I think of that. In John 15, 7, it says, remain, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, God can move and God can answer our prayers when we're in step with where he's working and where he's moving because we know his heart. This sense of abiding in him. And so where we don't use very often, but the sense of, of abiding and being with him and being in step with him. There's a, a story that I've been kind of pondering recently from Mother Teresa. And um, she was being interviewed um, by a C- CBS news anchor. And, um, and he was asking her about her prayer time, what she said during her prayers. And she answered, I listen. So Dan turned the question and asked, uh, well, then what does God say? Mother Teresa smiled with confidence and answered, He listens. For an instant, Dan didn't know what to say. And Mother Teresa responded, If you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. But isn't there a depth of intimacy within that relationship, a step of walking with God, of being in tune with where God is? See, um, the Bible also says in James 5.16 that the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. So when we're in step with where God is, then he makes tremendous power available and our prayers become powerful and effective. Everything that is in his heart, he can outwork through us. Isn't that amazing? You know, just for a couple of moments, I want to um, invite up to stage uh, my friend um, who's going to share with us a little bit of her personal story of how love and prayers and others made an incredible difference in her life. Um, now, It'll become obvious soon, but uh, this, this part of the service isn't actually going to be recorded and isn't going to be available. But <laughs> So I love that. I love that as she looks back, she saw these people that had been listening to the prompting of where God was moving, that had been spending time in prayer, asking God 
how, you know, how they could pray, what this looked like, how they could be a part of this girl's incredible journey to salvation. So how should we pray? Genuinely. There's not really a rhythm or a particular word. Sometimes we can get so hung up and be so fearful. How are we going to know where God's going? What if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't get it right? We have to trust that the God who created our hearts also knows our hearts and knows what we're expressing in them, right? There's a little bit of a template when Jesus, when the disciples were wrestling with this, and they're like, how should I pray? Um, He gave them Matthew 6. And if we run through this really quickly, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We remember who God is, that it is the creator of the entire universe that we get to come before. It is him that is invested in our lives and is leading and guiding us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That he is sovereign, that he is working and moving, that in this God is doing something amazing. Give us this day our daily bread, trusting that he cares about the things that are in our lives, that our worries and our concerns, that we can bring those things before him in that day and that he cares about that stuff. There is nothing that is too small and nothing that is too big. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. This can be one of the biggest things that becomes our obstacle in prayer is unforgiveness towards other people. See, we have to be people who learn quickly how to let things go. And I don't want to be dismissive of this because sometimes there is forgiveness that's required for some pretty massive things that we're not okay. And forgiveness doesn't justify the action. It simply entrusts it to God's judgment and God's timing, right? And it takes the weight off you to be able to freely stay in step with where God's working and moving rather than holding on to something that was never yours, they were never supposed to carry. As though, forgive those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Let's be real, we're going to have hard days. There's going to be stuff that happens. We're not always going to get it right. But we can pray and we can ask for God's wisdom and God's guidance in amongst it all. There's a, a, little, a little illustration, a little story that came from Ab- that said to have come from Abraham Lincoln. When he was in his office one day, and he was booked up with appointments and people coming in and, and, so, and all this official business. Um, but there was a, an elderly woman who asked to, if she could have a meeting with him, and he graciously consented. As she entered Lincoln's office, he rose to greet her and asked how he might be of service. She replied that she had not come to ask a favour. She replied that she had not come um, to ask a favour, but she had heard that the president liked a certain type of cookie. So she had baked some for him and brought them to his office. Touched by the gesture, Lincoln responded, You are the very first person who has ever come into my office asking not, expecting not, but rather bringing me a gift. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. See, how often can we be like that with God? How often can we come before God and we've got all the things that we need and want and all the things that we need him to move in? But what if there was a sense of keeping in step? When was the last time we asked God, what upset him? What frustrated him? What was he happy about? What does he delight in? How would he handle the situation? What if there was a sense of walking in step, of abiding, 
of knowing where God was leading and walking with that to our prayer lives. See, what if we were a church who not only knew what it was to have the ear of God, but were a church who had ears available to God? That we weren't just continually coming to him with our requests, but there was a sense of waiting as that little woman knew what it was to bless the president, what if there was a sense that we could come before God and go, God, what is on your heart today? God, where are you? what do you want to do? God, what are the things that you think about? And there's that relationship that comes with it. What if we carried that and we continue to respond to that as God corporately leads us into Selwyn, into this new campus plan? that sense of following and of trusting him and knowing where he's working and moving. But also, what if we took that into our workplaces? As we're going through corridors and from offices, there's a sense of asking what God is doing, a sense of knowing when to go left and when to go right, when to stay in a conversation, when to move away, when we need to come up with a, with a, a creative idea, asking, you know, what has God got in store? What does he think about it? When we have to make a big financial decision, when we have to deal with a delicate situation, What does God think about it? What if we carried that into our families and into our homes, with our children, with our parents, with our partners, a sense of asking, well, God, what are you doing? God, where are you in this place? How are you working and moving? What is your heart for this? What is God's perspective on it? How would that change? What if we were a church who had not only an ear for the ear of God, but were a church who had ears available to God? What if in the supermarket we were willing to listen, that we knew God's voice? that we could see people, that God could bring people to our attention when there was something that he wanted to work and move in their hearts. See, as, as we, team, if you guys want to come back up, as we come back into a time of, of ministry, I love if just for today we could come back again and take a few moments. And rather than just coming to God with all the things that we need him to do. He, he also knows that stuff and is important as a place for that. But what if we took a couple of minutes and went, God, what is on your heart? What is on your heart today? Maybe you're here and you, you're not even sure what it means to have this relationship with Jesus. You're not sure what it looks like to even put your arm around him and to keep in step with where he's going. Can I encourage you that God is standing there with open arms, that he is calling you home. There is nothing that you have done that can't be healed. There is nothing you have done that excludes you from the love or grace of God. But he's inviting you to be part of a journey of understanding more of who he is, to experience his love, to experience his forgiveness, and to experience what it is to do life in relationship with him every single day. You know, Chris, as every eye is closed and heads bowed across this place, if you are here and you go, man, I want this. I want to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to start that journey. I'm going to pray a prayer. And all I'm going to ask you to do it is to pray it along with me. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it within yourself. And then afterwards, I'm going to ask you to connect with some of our team so that we can get to know you and we can walk with you in this journey. 
Lord Jesus, I open my heart and accept you as my saviour. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for my sins. Come and be Lord of my life. I am yours and I belong to you. I choose to follow you and your plan for my life. Amen.